As a startup and as an entrepreneur, um, <clears throat> you keep seeing opportunities and you need to finish what you started and, and build it with a, a solid foundation so it can maintain itself before you can start doing the next step. Welcome back everybody, I'm here with Dennis Hartley from Duk Duk Factory. Uh, we're going to le learn about electrified Duk Duk's that he's been building over the last 10 years. It's an amazing product and we just had a fantastic conversation. So we hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much Dennis, this was fantastic. So thank you very much for taking the time to meet with us. Um, that's, please do me a favor and give me a personal introduction. Oh sure, yeah. So I'm, I'm Dennis Harten, I'm uh, Dutch, I've been living in Thailand now uh, nine years. Actually I arrived here, I'm one of the founders of Tuk Tuk Factory. Okay. Uh, I have an engineering background and now I'm doing mostly the production management. How did you get started with this and why electric Tuk Tuk's? Well, um, for me it was actually it was a graduation project. I was doing my master thesis uh, together with uh, my current colleague uh, okay. Marijn van der Linde, also an engineer. And there was a company that introduced tuk-tuks to Amsterdam and The Hague and people really liked it, you know, it was, it's a very exotic vehicle and, <laughs> and, and people love seeing these colorful uh, things driving through the street. So the first company that introduced these vehicles, they asked for our help and that's when we started to do researching the tuk-tuk of the future. Why did you go with the electric instead of like a normal or an LVG or some other way? Uh, emission is a very big issue, also now in Asia. And so we decided, uh, and we found actually from, from that research long time ago, that electric and tuk-tuks make really good synergy, a really mm -hmm. good marriage. It's short range and not very fast, no high speed. So you can introduce a commercial successful electric drivetrain very easily. Okay. Yeah. So you were a master student, you worked on this project. Yep. How, what were the first steps to getting started in a real company? I mean, as a student, you probably didn't have any background as an entrepreneur. No. No. So, what were the first steps and how painful were they to get started? Um, yeah, it was pretty scary at the start. Uh, I, first of all, I didn't do this alone. We were in a founding group, so we had a group uh, of uh, uh, four guys starting this. And we started actually under the umbrella of the first company that introduced the tuk-tuks. So they were doing taxi rides and, and really uh, having a... a a public transport, transport uh, kind of uh, business case mm. and under that we started making the first vehicles we got subsidies from the Dutch government and finally the transition towards producing it in Asia that was a big step uh, and s slowly but surely we, we got it rolling. So early on were you where were you producing and were you just buying them and bringing them into the country? So yeah the first vehicles actually were, were um, dumped vehicles of the, f of the first company Okay. So the vehicles, um, <coughs> original authentic vehicles that came to Holland, they were gasoline motors and uh, the quality was bad. So half of them after a big rain, they, they came back to the garage. Okay. So there were vehicles available to start converting to electric and we did 10 of them as a conversion. Mm -hmm. And then we could see it's not sustainable to keep doing that. And then we looked for partners in Asia to, to develop a complete new vehicle. Okay. Yeah. So then you move to Thailand to yeah. start to... So are you the production person yes. in the group of four? 
Yes. Okay. Yes. So since the start, a lot of things changed. You know, we were already nine years uh, or ten years in business. Um, for me, uh, my background is uh, industrial design engineering. Okay. So I came to Thailand originally just to do design, and we did that with a Thai partner. Mm. And after we did, and we did a rapid development, uh, like nine months, and got it certified for Europe market. Oh wow. And after we did that, uh, the Thai partners indicated that they had issues or they, they looked up you know, to do the actual production, but they helped us start a new company, uh, okay. which I did, uh, and that made me stay longer. Yeah. Okay, so, so how, t I mean, how, what was that process? You, you start off you know, looking for a partner, mm -hmm. you're just doing the design, they bring you what you need, yes. then you have to start your own company. Yeah, we, we took it step by step, and, and I had the, fort uh, the fortunate situation that the Thai company actually supported us to start up. And I, of course, I got support from Holland. Sure. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that made it easier. Yeah. And also the fact that I'm still young, you know, no big risks, no mortgages, no okay. loan, no okay. relation. Yeah. <laughs> As a Westerner in Asia, you often hear a lot about the risks of working in a certain country that you, yes. you know, the, the difficulties of a joint venture, you know, trust issues with the local partners. Yes. But it sounds like your partner really helped you. Um, yeah, they did. Yeah. You know, why? Like, what, what was different? What did you do well, that you think? Um, that to I think first of all, uh, it, you know, you have to be lucky with selecting a partner. Mm -hmm. So lucky or, or smart. Uh, I guess it's a bit of both. Um, the, the, the partner at first said they were going to do the production, so they felt guilty of cancelling that out. We already had customers, okay. even though we, we never made the vehicle, we already had a customers ready for that. How is this product different than, say, the normal duct-duct that you're used to in Southeast Asia? The difference between the Western market and the Asian market is that uh, drivers are more expensive, so you like more passengers per driver. Okay. So that's why you can see we kind of supersize <laughs> the vehicle to fit up to six passengers, depending on what country, what le uh, legislation. Uh, another thing is different, yeah, it's electric, so it's very quiet, so actually you can talk to the driver, but it's, I guess it's a little bit uh, less of the authentic tuk-tuk feel, but you can <laughs> add any sound to it since it's electric, right? At least you have clean air, you can drive through sure, sure. inside, uh, airports, shopping malls, those kind of things. Okay. Yeah. And who, who are the buyers? Is it, you mentioned drivers, are these, are these taxi drivers, are they Uber drivers? Who's, are they mothers who have four children? Who are you finding is the most interesting market for you? So one of our bigger markets is in Portugal. Okay. In Portugal, people use it for city tours. So you even have villages actually putting money together oh, to wow. buy one tuk-tuk that you know makes gets tourists in from 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 the bigger cities. Okay. But uh, there are also big city tours in Lisbon, in Porto. Mm. Uh, next to that, uh, next to the city tours, which is also in Paris and Berlin and those kind of cities, it is also used for events. So uh, you have remote places like Cook Islands, they use it uh, for, for tour, but also for marriages, those wow. kind of things. It's used for promotion, uh, so Jack Daniels in, in the US, for example, did a promotion in Denver, Heineke, okay. those kind of things. So don't drink, don't drink in Tuk Tuk? No, no, no. <laughs> so take a Tuk Tuk, you can drink, but let somebody drive. Yeah. Uh, and, and finally, it's also used by hotels and resorts. You can imagine, you know, it's okay, sure, with sure. a Thai theme, like Anantara uh, in Dubai, for example. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You just mentioned a dozen different markets that you're selling into. Yes. How have you guys 
focused or how have you built your, your distribution channels? Um, it's difficult because the market for electric tuk-tuks was non-existent before we started, right? We had to we create a company, but we also had to create our own market. Nobody walked around thinking when I'm going to get that electric tuk-tuk that I always plan to buy. So it's, uh, and we had zero uh, marketing budget, but we, we benefit from the fact that it's a very uh, cute vehicle. Mm -hmm. And the vehicle is, um, <coughs> yeah, it's, it really stands out. It's very exotic. And we had people uh, like yourself drawn to that uh, and come to us to, you know, do an interview, do some video. Right. And that really helped us get some traction. Uh, and I guess, because there was no market, you had to kind of make it, and that meant you also had to kind of identify your customers, your yes. customer base. Yes. <laughs> Does sustainability and environment, is that a selling point for this, or is it because it's the cute something else? For, for, what, what, what are the main ways? Now, for us, uh, sustainability is a selling point, but it comes second. Okay. Yes, yeah, I'll have to admit that it is, uh, you know, first it needs to be a sustainable business case. Mm -hmm. So the customers that return, they make good money with it, and uh, you can imagine that a vehicle like this in the European streets really collects a lot of money. Okay. So, and, and the electric drivetrain helps with that because it's very low on, on maintenance costs and, mm. and, and energy costs. Okay. Yeah. okay. Are these electric drivetrains, are they unique to you? Did you develop your own or are you buying from other people and then, then just making the best design duck you can? Oh yeah, we developed this with, with suppliers. So we're not making the parts ourselves, but we did do uh, proper selection and make this custom for us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so in a sense, could you like Tesla open it all up and say, okay, everyone just go because yes. you want the scalability mm. to, to drive the market? Is that something you've ever thought about? Or Yeah, we did actually, because one of the things that we want to focus on is the drivetrain and the vehicle. So you could see in the future, uh, I don't want to compete with all the small roadside shops in Asia for making the body and the, and, 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 the, and the seats and everything like that. So you could, you could think of engaging them actually and we make the chassis and the drivetrain yes. and they can make the rest. Yeah. So what's the, grand, what's the grand dream of the company then? Like what are you trying to accomplish? Well, <coughs> right now it's, it's, we need to scale up so uh, it, we need to f focus actually. Yeah. And it's difficult because uh, a lot of people come up to us, especially here in Asia, they see the opportunity to start here. Um, last year was a bit tough for us for Europe because we had a change in European regulation. So we had to overthrow our design, change things. And, uh, and so we just barely managed to do it on time. Uh, okay. So we secured our European market. And now we, we need to keep, you know, keep that going while slowly being able to open uh, our capacity and our work for, for other opportunities. Okay. Yeah. So you have all these different standards that are happening in your factory that is, yes. in essence. Yes, yes. And how difficult is that to manage? It is. Technically. It's difficult because you need a certain skill to be able to, to do what you know the bigger car manufacturers do yeah. uh, in, in level of control of quality and standardization. And when we started, you know, all, you accept any customer that has weird requests and you know, we made, made library tuk-tuks and those kind of things. Uh, so the key is for us as a vehicle manufacturer with complex technology is, is really focus on standardization and getting uh, enough skill to maintain a team here that can help us with that. And luckily in Thailand there's a lot of uh, good qualified uh, automotive staff. In your nine years, what has been your biggest challenge? As a startup and as an entrepreneur, 
um, <coughs> you keep seeing opportunities and you need to finish what you started and, and build it with a, a solid foundation so it can maintain itself before you can start doing the next step. So yes. how do you, with that in mind, on a day-to-day -day basis, stay focused? What are the things that you do? Well, <coughs> you make sure that your normal work hours, you stay focused okay. and you reward yourself <laughs> with extra hours to do the fun stuff. And then what's the thing that keeps you going every morning you wake up? Like, What's, what's the thing that motivates you? I really like to see the tuk-tuks and uh, I think we, we do make a difference. You know, we, we introduce something with a lot of uh, character and uh, authenticity and mm. uh, introducing a new technology. But also my team and, uh, and colleagues, uh, it's, it's a great pleasure to work with these people. Uh, we have fun doing it and uh, also the team in Holland, we, you know, we really have a thrive to move forward. Yeah. Does it help you to think really big and look at the city and figure out how it's going to integrate? Or does that become too much of a distraction and you should just focus on making the product and waiting for the customers to tell you what they want? Well, for me, <coughs> as an industrial design engineer, we, you know, I was trained in more conceptual and strategic design as well. Uh, that really triggers me, yes. Mm -hmm. But uh, on a day-to-day, -day, especially during production, you have to you know, put your feedback on the ground. Sure. And, uh, <coughs> Uh, doing that, but yes, no. I still, uh, I, I occasionally I go to uh, universities here in Thailand to a short lecture, and then I, I get carried away by all the things that are possible in the next, you know, five, ten years sure, in sure, terms sure. of mobility. Yeah. And if you were talking to a young aspiring entrepreneur, yes, what would you tell them um, that they should be looking out for along the way? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I would I would tell them uh, stay stay critical of your situation, right? It's very important that you stay happy with what you're doing, and uh, that you also acknowledge when things are not growing. It's, this sounds a little bit pessimistic, but every time you do that, you'll feel better about what you're doing. Mm. So it is very important that you know you can have a company, but if there's not not too much uh, growth in it that in the end, um, you know, your time is actually very precious, especially as a young entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time.